Hello, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. Sometime in the years before or after, or sometime around our 40th birthday, many of us start to feel what I call the ick, like some part of our life no longer fits and you don't know what to do about it. I know that was true for me, and I fought against it, which only made it a messier process. But having 40 drinks with 40 people over the course of a year helped me escape the influence of that ick. On this podcast, I welcome you to tap into my stories and experience, as well as those of my guests, to help you emerge from your own ick and maybe even avoid some of the mistakes we made along the way. My mission is to make it common cultural knowledge that there is a transition most of us face around age 40, and then showcase so many versions of that transition that every single person approaching or recently turned 40 with dread in their heart knows that they are not alone. Today, my guest is an old chick who knows some shit. And it's okay that I describe her that way because Jennifer Arthurton is the host of the podcast, Old Chicks Know Shit. Hey, Jen, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. You know, you and I first met when I was on your podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I don't, you first of all, you don't look it. And I certainly don't want to call you it, but you call yourself an old chick. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a bit tongue in cheek because yeah. at 57 the world will call me an old chick. I do not feel like an old chick, but it's really just like a tongue in cheek expression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the title of your podcast I absolutely love because it's old chicks no shit. Yeah. And those of us who have hit a mark somewhere above 40 know that and even somewhere above 50 know that it's true. <laughs> right? <laughs> a lot of it we come to naturally with time and age and a lot of it we earn with the the scars and the stripes and everything else. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's that valuable life experience that cannot be replaced with anything else. No, nope. even people telling you. Oh no. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, and isn't that interesting though because that's exactly the reason that you and I both do our podcasts is to try to share some of that experience, some of those stories, and maybe not so people don't have to go through it themselves. But in my case, I know I do it so they don't feel as alone as, mm. you know, as they do. One of the things I've realized in doing this podcast is that it's, it is no longer common cultural knowledge that we go through a transition sometime around yeah. age 40 plus or minus, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was the stereotypical midlife crisis. And at least it was part of the vernacular. If you started feeling things or you started feeling that discomfort or that dis-ease, dis that unease, you at least could say, well, it's not, you know, what that guy's doing, but maybe it's in the in the same, you know, ballpark. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think we have that anymore. I often refer to my own experience as a midlife crisis, but the reality is it's not so much as a crisis as it is an awakening. Yes. And, you know, we can avoid the crisis if we pay attention to the awakening. Me, I did not obviously, quite obviously, pay attention. <laughs> you and me both. And ended up in the place where it became a crisis. But the crisis is fully to get us to pay attention to the yes. awakening, right? Yes. So, you know, that that saying, you know, first you get a whisper, then you get a nudge, then you get a gentle push. And then if you're still not listening, you get the brick in the head. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way I say that same exact thing is the universe will send you the same lesson over and over again until you learn it. And if you're not paying attention, the lessons are going to get harder and harder and more painful Amen. and more challenging. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So for you, your transition came a little bit later than a lot of the people I've talked to previously. Yours came at 50. Yeah. And I'm so really interested and curious to hear how you got there, because it sounds like you were doing a lot of what I have done a lot through my life, which is not paying attention, you know, head in the sand, playing ostrich. Why don't we start by, give me a sense of what were the forces that made you, what were the experiences, who were you by the time you got to your mid forties? Yeah. So I was a wife, 
a mother and had a very successful corporate career, spent 30 years in corporate marketing in the finance industry. You know, I was very well paid in my job. I had lots of amazing perks and, you know, my job title was very much my identity. In fact, all of my titles were my identity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a corporate executive who, you know, drove soccer carpool on the weekends, you know, lived in the perfect little house in the suburbs, you know, I had, it looked on the outside, it was the perfect life. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you say, you know, like I didn't have my, my transition until I was 50. If I'm really honest with myself, it started happening in my 40s, probably okay. early in my 40s, right? Okay. But like to the point that we were just making, I was trying very, very hard not to pay attention. Yeah. So I would find myself at work, you know, in a boardroom, half listening to what was going on in the meeting and thinking to myself, is this it? Is this really what I wanted for my life? Is like, is this it? Is this what I've worked so hard for? And there was this like nagging little feeling of dissatisfaction and it would pop up every once in a while and I would squash it down quickly, like really quickly. I'd be like, okay, get back to work, start focusing. And the reason why I did that is because I didn't know what to do with it, right? Like if I listened and paid attention, that would mean I would have to make some changes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh God, I have no idea what's possible for me. What would I change? And I would tell myself all the time, you should be grateful. Like people would kill to be in your position. Right, right. What would you change? Because everything was air quotes, perfect. Right. By all measures of anything outside of myself, I was living the perfect life. Like I got to go to Olympic events. I was standing on stage with Lady Gaga. I was like, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Like I had these incredible experiences. I was really well paid. And there was just still this like little niggling inside me that I would shut it down. And I shut it down over and over and over again. Yeah. Until I really had no choice. And what happened was in the year leading up to my 50th birthday, So starting from age 49, Mm -hmm. I found myself in very quick succession of events. So all in within under a year, I found myself divorced, an empty nester. My kid moved three hours away to go to school. I was let go from my career and I was bedridden with a stress-related illness. Oh God. Well, the universe had your attention. Oh boy, did it ever. And It was as though all of my identities, who I thought I was in the world, was literally stripped away from me in a very short space of time. And I found myself, like most days I couldn't get out of bed. Going grocery shopping was a feat that would require like a three-hour nap before I could actually put the groceries away. I was mentally, physically, and emotionally completely spent. Yeah. And I would lie in my bed and like, first of all, throwing myself a big old pity party. Like what's wrong with me? Everybody else has got their shit together. Why is my life crumbling? Right. And then what I realized was what, like, if I'm not a wife, if I'm not a mother, if I'm not a corporate executive, then who am I? Right. Like who am I? That question just kept coming up over and over and over again. And then the other part was I had no idea what I wanted for my life. If I wasn't consumed with all of these things, Mm -hmm then what was I going to do with the rest of my life? And I truly at that point believed that this was the beginning of the end for me, right? Like I'm 50, nobody starts over at 50. I'm supposed to be riding off into the retirement sunset on the arm of a handsome man with a pot of gold, Yeah, you know? Like that's the narrative that was shown to me at every turn, Yes, right? Like I'm supposed to, you know, sit around waiting for my grandkids to visit. Like my life is consumed with meal replacement shakes and bladder leakage protection. Like that's what our culture was telling me about what it meant to be beyond 50. Right. So I was like, okay, well, this is the beginning of the end. I'm just going to coast into the finish line from here. And then I realized one day I was like, okay, wait a minute. I have a 30 year chapter ahead of me, like God willing, you know, Maybe even longer. Maybe it's 35 or 40 years. Yeah. And am I really just going to coast into the finish line for 30 years? Like that seems a little absurd to me. Right. Yeah. Right. Because 30 years, if you look backwards, is like from 20. Imagine all the things you did between 20 and 50. And now you're saying all that time you're just going to 
give up. Exactly. Right. And and if you think about it, like of all the phases of a woman's life, to think yeah. that this chapter, this long chapter is being completely discounted and erased from the social scene or from our culture. Yeah. Again, I was like, wow, this is absurd. So there's nothing like an injustice to get me a little fired up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those, right? those fire me too. Yeah. Well, and the, <laughs> the other interesting thing is the, the people that I've talked to, the women that I've talked to who are beyond 50 and beyond 60, they will tell you that this, not only is this a, one of the longest phases, but it's also one of the most potent because Absolutely. now you know shit. Yeah. And this is the thing. I mean, this is why I do the work that I do is because as women, you know, we are taught to see our value in what we do for other people, the shape of our body. Is it pleasing to somebody outside of us and our ability to have kids? Right. Yep. So when your body's changing, you know what I mean? Your kids need you less and you know, you're, you're no longer reproducing. You right. start to question your value in the world, right? Like mm. we've been conditioned this way since we were born, right. Yep. To see our value. So all of a sudden you start questioning your value. And what happens is, is we downplay or we ignore all of the life experience and wisdom and knowledge that we have collected up to this point. It just like evaporates. It's not worth anything. And right. I'm like, this is where old chicks know shit comes from is because yeah. we are not our faces, our bodies, our gray hair, extra pounds, wrinkles, any of that stuff. Right. What we are is the culmination of all of that knowledge and wisdom and life experience, which is so incredibly valuable. Yeah. Right. And the only question is, is like, what are we going to do with it? Like, what are right. we going to use it for? Yeah. Yeah. How are we right? going to put it to work? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I no longer had those identities as wife, mother, corporate executive. I had to start to think about like, who was I? Right. And to get to know the woman underneath it, which now I see as an amazing gift. I couldn't see it before because I was so immersed in all the doing and all the doing of all the things and the yep. roles and responsibilities that I had. Yeah. And yeah, getting to know, it really was a journey of getting to know myself. <laughs> so I'm going to pause there and go backwards a little bit. So yeah. talk to me a little bit about your forties. You started to get the little glimmers that you ignored, the, mm -hmm. which I, I did as well, because for exactly the same reason you did, what do you do with them? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think I, I drank most of mine away. I drowned most of mine. Not that I was an alcoholic. I was a fun party drinker, but still I drank a lot. But it was also probably to keep a lot of that stuff quiet. So you found yourself that year of 49, everything happened very quickly. But what about the years leading to it? Was your marriage okay through your 40s? Or was that breaking down over time? Or was that a very fast thing? Because I mean, yeah. the thing about your son, you know, it's like, well, we know what age he is, we know when he's going to leave, right? So you could sort of see that part on the horizons. But I'm guessing the divorce was a little bit more surprising. Yeah, I mean, you know, it seemingly happened overnight. But obviously, there was a lot leading up to that. Your way of coping was, you know, drinking, mine was do more. Yes. Right. So I yes. was like huge into physical fitness. I had a really demanding corporate job. I was traveling all the time. And it was always like this strive to be more, do more, have more, right? Yeah. Like that was my thing. And so I spent most of my 40s focused on like accomplishment, yeah. achieving, achieving, yeah. which now I, you know, nothing wrong with achieving. I'm all for everybody being their highest and best. But the motivation and the underlying energy <laughs> behind achievement matters. And for me, it was about proving, right? Like proving that I'm okay, proving that I'm worthy, you know? And that was, that was my forties. It's like, I remember actually on the morning of my 40th birthday, I was one of those people who used to go to the gym at five 30 in the morning before I would head to the office. And I remember being in the gym. It's like, nobody's there except me maybe just one other dude right and I'm on the treadmill and I'm thinking to myself like wow this is 40 like I got to get my shit together I've got to do more I've got to accomplish more and yeah. you know like it was like double down on everything yeah but that allowed me to not pay attention to a, my own inner voice, B, to the things that were happening outside of myself I mean my husband my ex-husband and I are great friends now and we have amazing conversations he said to me several times there was no space there was just no space right yeah. i mean yeah. had we had that conversation while we were still married it probably might have <laughs> turned right. out differently but right right yeah. right 
So all of the achieving, all of the effort and attention and and energy you put into achieving, the things that you were achieving, why did you choose those? What did they mean to you? So for me, and this is, you know, one of the things, like when you start to get to know yourself and you have to come face to face with yourself, you have to see the good, the bad and the ugly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And one of the things that became very apparent to me is for most of my entire life, I was trying to prove my own enoughness, right? If I had a certain job title, I was successful. If I had a certain salary or a certain type of house or I drove a certain type of car, that was like, hey, world, look, look how good I am. Yes. Right. But you can't, no matter how many band-aids you put on top of the not enoughness wound, you will never, ever, ever feel enough. In fact, you have to keep going. It's like the addiction. You have right. to keep going to keep fueling it, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so that that was my addiction of choice. And it was celebrated, like culturally, right. it's celebrated. So I was like, yeah, of course I'm doing all the right things. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, I'm not sure, and I'm sort of thinking for you here, did you give any thought to the things you were achieving, whether they were what you wanted or whether (laughs) they were making you happy. So that was one of my, the probably the greatest realization for me, you know, when I was in my bed, unable to get out, forced into a place of stillness that I had never, ever in, in my entire life, we are given the rule book, especially as women, we are given the playbook early on, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, work your way up the corporate ranks, you know, somewhere in there, get married, have a kid, check, 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 check. I was checking all of the boxes. I was like yep. the good girl, right? Like the good student. Yep. And I realized that nowhere along the way had I ever stopped to check in to see if it was what I wanted, like yeah. what made me happy, like what fulfilled me. So yeah. I kept going like, okay, I'm going to achieve more, achieve more. But the more was never satisfying because I was more of the wrong thing. Like, you know, yeah. they say you put the ladder against the wall and you climb the ladder when you realize, oh my God, I'm on the wrong wall. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right. You yeah. get to the top and you're like, oh shit, that wasn't the wall. I, right. I'm supposed to be on a different wall. Right. And that was exactly it. And I see this all the time with the women in my community, right? Like we're operating from a place of unconsciousness because we are so disconnected from ourselves, from our Mm -hmm. wants, right? Again, Mm -hmm. because all of validation comes from outside of us, right? Like, are we good moms? Are we good sisters? Are we good wives? Are we good corporate employees? Right? And we ignore ourselves for so long that we become so completely disconnected. And that was literally my story. My 40s was the period of disconnection. Yeah. Right. And then when I got to 50 and everything fell apart, I was like, wow, I have no idea who I am. I have no idea what I want for my life. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've said a couple of times and one of my girlfriends and I talk about this, we cope with capability. Mm. We cope by taking care of business. We cope by getting things done and doing things and checking off the list. If you don't mind me asking, what kind of illness stopped you in your tracks? So it was a stress-related illness that had to do with my adrenals and, you know, just general burnout. I stopped sleeping for like, I don't know, months, for months and months and months, probably close to a year. I was like getting maybe two or three or or max four hours of sleep a night. And I, I would wake up and be like, okay, I feel fine. I feel good. And then, you know, a few months of this, I was like, whew, this is not good. Like I'm not sleeping and I wake up, I'm like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. But on the flip side of it, you know, I would find myself at work in the bathroom crying over the smallest things. right? Right. I was in the gym working out. I was getting injured every other week. Yeah. Right. There were so many signs and signals along the way that I, again, I wasn't paying attention to because I was so driven by that need to achieve. Have you ever heard the term? Like, you know, if you're trying to hold a beach ball underwater, like how much energy have you ever tried to do that? Like take a beach ball, push it under the water and hold it there. The amount of energy it takes to keep that beach ball underwater. Yep. Right. Is intense. And it's eventually going to come up. It's going to like squirt out sideways one way or the other. Yep. And that's literally what I was doing. Like I was expending so much mental, physical and emotional energy in this 
trying to prove that I was enough that that literally physically depleted me. Yeah. You ran your tank more than dry, more than dry, way more than dry. And I remember, you know, there was at various points in my career, I'd be like, oh, you know, I should really try and meditate because that's what everybody does. The most successful people meditate. Right. So I would try this meditation and, you know, I had determined it an abject failure because I'm like, this is just not the way I'm built. I can't meditate. Mm. And then one day I'm on a business trip. I'm in New York and I had heard about this meditation class at my local yoga studio. And I was like, I don't know why, but I feel like so compelled to go to this class, like Mm -hmm. like, completely compelled it. Again, I have no idea why. And I end up taking a standby flight home (laughs) to get to this class on time. Again, I'm like going, what am I, what am I doing? But okay, we're going along with it. I get in the class. I sit down on the mat. There's like six of us in the class. It's this dim candlelit room. It's a guided meditation. The instructor starts, you know, the, the meditation and Five minutes in, I feel this like well of emotions. How long until you were sobbing? Well, literally, it, you know, and I'm saying to myself, Jennifer, get your shit together. Right. Like what's happening? What's we're happening? We're in public. Don't do yeah, this. You're like, <laughs> like, get it together, girl. Get it together. But I can't stop it. And it literally comes up. And I'm not talking about like I'm crying with like there's a tear or two rolling down my face. No, no. Yeah. I am ugly sobbing at this point. Right. Yeah. And the instructor looks at me and she just like slides a box of Kleenex onto my mat and, you know, just like nods and I spent the whole class I mean the people must have loved me I'm like crying and blowing my nose and (laughs) and I have no idea what's happening like I feel like okay I am losing it now and as I leave you know I've got like mascara running down my face I've got two handfuls of snotty Kleenex and the instructor looks at me and she says I'm starting an eight-week session if you'd like to join and before I knew what I was doing I signed up for that eight-week session and I all the way home I'm going what okay I'm canceling like what the hell I'm not doing that again Right, right. (laughs) But I didn't. And I went. And it was probably four or five of those eight weeks I spent on the mat crying with no idea why I was crying. Right. But at some point I was like, okay, well, quite frankly, quite obviously, I can't stop this. So I'm just going to let it happen and see where this goes. Right. And that was the beginning of like releasing so much stuff. Yeah. Right. That I had been so busy pushing down, pushing down, pushing down, which is exactly what led to my burnout. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see it easily. You had finally given yourself a moment of space, peace, quiet, stop, rest. It was like you'd struck oil in Texas. Yeah. It was like a tidal wave, just like, Yeah. yeah. Wow. Hi, we'll get back to the show in just a minute. You know, I was talking to a friend recently who was going through some stuff. I recommended a previous episode of the podcast that was relevant to her situation, and she loved it. And that got me thinking, if you've got an issue you're facing or something you're going through, drop me a line, and I can recommend one or two episodes that might be relevant for what you're experiencing. Think of it as your personal podcast prescription. I'd love to make one for you. DM me on social or email me at stephanie at 40drinks.com. And don't forget to spell out the word 40. All right, back to Jen. So were you ever able to take up the habit of meditation after that class? Oh, meditation is a huge part of my life. (laughs) Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I also have had a challenging time making it a part of my everyday existence. Oh, people say it's so important and, you know, all the most successful people do it, right? And I I have some guided meditations that I'll do, but doing it on my own, I, I find myself challenge. Meditation means different things to me at different times. And honestly, I I am now at the place where I honor what feels right to me at that time. So sometimes it means sitting still Mm -hmm. by myself and just seeing what's happening with my thoughts. Other times it's listening to a guided meditation. Other times it's a walk in nature. I'll go into Mm -hmm. the forest like Mm -hmm. by myself. And as long as we're incorporating silence, stillness, and solitude in some form or combination of two of those three things, that is meditation because it's just calming you long enough to be able to hear what's going on inside you to create that awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now you are flat on your back in bed, can't get out and trying to figure out who the heck you even are. Tell me about that process of uncovering who the heck you even are. Yeah. I mean, I was starting at the beginning, like, like you're presented with a stranger 
and that's literally who I was. I was a stranger to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I started, and this was, I was a little bit forced to, because I was forced into this place of stillness. It was like, okay, I'm just going to sit with myself in stillness and see what comes up. And so, you know, like what thoughts am I thinking? Right. Like, how do I feel? Like I was asking myself these like really, really basic questions. And the more that I spent time with myself and started listening to myself, like listening to that inner voice, right? Like, what is she Mm -hmm. saying to me and paying attention? Like sometimes it might be today I'd like to eat an orange, right? Or, you know, a lot of times it would be, she would be asking me to go into nature. And I was so burnt out that like walking, I couldn't walk very far or very Mm -hmm. long. So I would go across the street to the park that was across from my house. And I would sit under a tree and just sit there and just Mm. see what came up. Right. And then after a process of doing this over time, I started to understand things about myself. It was like, you know, things would come up about like, oh, you should write. And I was like, well, I'm not a writer. Like, right. Right. And then I'd be, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to try it. And, you know, that actually led to the blog, which started (laughs) old chicks no shit because I started writing about my experience and how I was feeling it. And, you know, the thing was, I thought I was alone in all of this. Like, I thought I was yes. broken. Like, there's something yes. wrong with me, with my life. And after I started sharing little bits of this, people started saying, oh, my goodness, that's me. I- I'm there, too. And then I was like, wow, there's all of us. Like, it's just like you said, in this period of transition, thinking, like, I must be crazy. I must be broken. I must be wrong. Yeah. And that's not true. We're all yeah. in it together and nobody's talking about it. And that's the thing, right? It's it's so crazy because all these pictures of what success looks like that we all cling to, it turns out it, it's truly only the minority that are truly happy with that. Going off in your own direction and making up a, a life that, that suits you perfectly is actually what most people want. Exactly. We just a lot of times don't know how. And for a lot of us, like you and others that I've spoken to, it entails blowing up what looks like a perfectly lovely life. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, it's a perfectly lovely life for somebody because that's their journey. That's their purpose. right? Right. And I mean, this transition for us especially like, you know, in our 40s and 50s is literally about coming back to the truth, like Mm. our truth, the truth of who we are. We've been given the playbook from day one and we're all following along and we are supposed to be questioning at this time. Like if you find yourself asking, is this it? What's next? I always say, congratulations. You are exactly where you should be. Right. Right. And congratulations for being awake. Yeah. Awake enough to ask the question. Well, exactly. Right. We were never meant to be the same person from the beginning to the end of our lives. Right. Like, I don't know who sold us that bill of goods, but right. that's <laughs> every chapter of your life demands a different version of you. Right. And so allowing ourselves, and this is the thing, right? Like we get stuck because we are hanging on to what we think is the right thing or the thing right. that we should be doing or right. the thing that's expected of us. And we hang on to that thing because that's our validation, right? That's our like check mark that we're doing the right things. Mm-hmm. When we are supposed to evolve and discover different aspects of who we are and like everything is always changing. It's like trees, right? Like we never stop growing and changing and being able to let go and acknowledge the new parts of you that are coming up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it takes courage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And a big part of this transition is, and you've said, you just said a couple of the words. So for a lot of our early adulthood, we are driven by the word should. Mm. Right. And whoever fed us that it was somebody external to us who told us and by and large, listen, those external people want us to be happy, healthy, safe, successful. Right. And so they tell us this is the career you should get in. It'll get you all the trappings of success. You'll be secure. You'll be safe. Right. He'd be a great dad. You should marry him. Right. All of these things. And, and so the, our early adulthood is really marked by checking the boxes that have been presented yep. to us as the playbook, as, as the right thing to do. And this transition is really when we start trusting ourselves and our own yes. voice and our own heart and our own yes. experience more than those external authorities, no matter how exactly. well-intentioned they are. 
absolutely. This that is the hallmark of this chapter of our lives. It's about absolutely. moving from, you know, being guided by what's outside of us to being guided by what's inside of us. Yep. Because we all have gifts. We all have an intuition. We all have purpose. Yep. Right? You know, getting to understand those things about ourselves is what's going to guide us into what I call, you know, your kick-ass next chapter where yeah. it feels truly fulfilling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And all those things that bubble up inside of you that feel crazy or out there or scary or ridiculous, those are the things you really need to do because those those are your true yeah. self calling through. Exactly. I always say your dreams and your desires are not random. Yeah. Like they're a part of you wanting to be expressed. Right. And so yeah. when you honor those things, no matter how crazy they seem, mm -hmm. like you're literally discovering, you know, parts of yourself, like parts of your higher self, right? Yeah. That part of you, your higher self, that part of you that can see beyond the fear and the doubt and the conditioning, who knows the truth of who you are and what you're capable of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So as you went through this period of repair and recovery, what was it that you learned about who you were, mm. who you are? Mm, beautiful question. You know, one of the biggest realizations for me was that I am inherently a very creative person and that I need to have a creative outlet. Mm -hmm. Had you asked me, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm not creative. Right. Like right. I do strategy for a living. Like that's yep. what I do. Yep. And, you know, the more I, I play, the more I give myself permission to create, mm -hmm. the more me I feel. Mm. And this is still, let me just, let me just put this in context. This is still a work in progress yeah. because every day it's about discovering different parts of myself and different parts of my creativity and how it's asking to be expressed. Mm -hmm. Right. Even understanding, you know, different ways about how I learn and create, right? Like movement for me is one of the key things. Like while I'm moving, things fall into place that I, if I sat in a chair for three hours, I couldn't figure out. But if I go for a walk, all the pieces yeah. will fall into place. Or, yep. you know, if I'm chopping vegetables for dinner, <laughs> right? Yep. And so one of the things I, you know, I think I'm a bit and I know everybody's being diagnosed with ADD these days, but I sometimes feel like I'm a little, and I believe everybody's kind of on a spectrum of it. Sure. But I used to always make myself wrong for never wanting to sit still, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was always kind of doing something and giving myself permission to be like, oh, like that need for movement, like trying to tie myself to my computer and write the thing, right? right? I can't, I can't do it. I need to yeah. start and then I'll go off and do something. And while I'm doing something else, the pieces yeah. of like, I can come back and write that thing in 20 minutes. Yeah. So giving myself permission to work out of the box. Yeah. And like every time I do that, I discover some different aspect that feels really natural for me. Yeah. Right? I've done something similar in the last handful of years. Now I've been managing a chronic illness for almost seven years now. And one of the things that I've really stepped into during this period is, you know what, folks, I am not a morning person and mm -hmm. I don't care if you are, and I don't care if business is open at yes. 8.30 or nine o'clock. I, I don't care. There actually was a, a short period in time while I was in college that I, I did 545 aerobics classes somewhere and <laughs> I cannot believe, but you know, we can do anything in our twenties really. <laughs> but now, you know, I know for a fact that I am, I'm, I'm not a morning person. My parents, when I was two, three could not get me to go to bed at night. I always wanted to be up. If there were people, I was like, what's going on? I want to see, I want to be a part. Right. And then yeah. they'd have to drag me out of bed in the morning. So I am innately at a cellular yeah. level, a night owl. Yeah. So you know what? Don't look for me before 11 AM, yeah. but you know what? On a good day when I'm feeling good and strong, I'll finish my day, but sometime between seven and eight. Because yeah, those hours that. of like two to three to like, you know, five, six, seven, those are my crank hours. Yeah. See? And I know that there are plenty of people who get the like, oh, from like, you know, five to 7 a.m. I like, I write, I you know, it's like, you know what? Mine are three to 7 p.m. Yeah. Perfect. 
And I'm just going to build my life around that because that will make me successful. That will give me ease in my life. I now do not feel guilty if it takes me an hour to wake up because that's what I have to deal with, you know, these health issues I manage. And, And I'm not letting anybody down. Yeah. But that is, I mean, that's so beautiful in just in terms of honoring where you're at. And at some point that maybe that would change. And even yeah. then it's like being willing to change with it, Yeah. but just honoring who we are without yeah. making ourselves wrong. Because again, like we're taught in school, like you have to fit into this box, right? Right. And if you fall yes. outside of this box, then you're like a special learner or something like that. So we all try and squeeze ourselves into this box. That we, like from some of us, we were never, ever meant to be in. Or for some of us, the box is triangular. Other people, it's circular. Some people, it's small. Other people, it's big. But we were never meant to fit into a box. Right. And being able to expand into the fullness of who we are means honoring all of the parts of ourselves without making them wrong. Yes. I love that. Without making them wrong. They're not wrong. They're They're just you. You. Exactly. (laughs) And we need people of all, in fact, I was listening to a podcast a while ago and they were talking about morning people versus night people and this whole fallacy that, you know, the 5am club and yeah. And people literally like their circadian rhythms are built differently because when we were packs and tribes on the Savannah, you needed people who were going to stay up late and then you needed people who were going to get up in the morning. You needed all of those different, you know, things to be able to, for the survival of the tribe. Right. right. Because if everybody went to sleep at the same time and everybody's, you know what I mean? Then the lions are going to eat us all. Right. <laughs> right. And the fire is going to go out and, right. you know, other things aren't going to get done. Absolutely. You needed to cover all of the hours. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's meant to be that way. And, yeah. you know, so beautiful that you are allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to being able to honor who exactly you are at this moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, is, is amazing. It, for me, the illness has done a lot of the the same things it did for you, right? It it yeah. it slowed me down, it <laughs> it made me stop, it made me reckon with a lot of things, and you know, fortunately, unfortunately, however, you know, I always ha- I tend to look at it. Unfortunately, it's taking a long time to to find the resolution and work towards the resolution, but you know, I definitely have gone through the process of the acceptance and the living within and like the, I don't hate it. It just is. And that's, that's who I am in this period of life. But, but I had a thought much like yours, just literally just within the last two or three weeks, maybe even more recently, I turned 52 this summer and I realized that my, my grandmother, my father's mother lived till she was 92 and my my mother's mother was killed by a drunk driver, so we didn't get to see her natural end, but her sister lived until she was 99 and a half. Wow. And so I realized that at 52, I have 40 years left. Right. 40. Right. right. 40 years. And so, you know what? I can take whatever time it I need to take to make it through this this phase, this chapter, this illness chapter until I get on the other side. And then, like you said, change with that and what will mornings look like and what will movement look like and what will things look right. like? Well, and, you know, I love that you said that because it took me probably three years to really like heal myself. Yeah. And honestly, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, it had to take that amount of time for me to not revert back to right the way that I used to operate. Right. Because even now, right, like having the experience that I've had, like sometimes I'll get a little too far off track. Yep. And then I'll start to feel the, you know, the the, yep. the symptom and then I'll be like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yep. Come back on over here. Right. Yep. Yep. But Morning it literally light. is a guidepost. But had, yep. I, had I cured that in six months, I probably would never have yep. gotten on the, the right track. But now I know there's a way that I have to operate in a way that I have to show up. And that illness showed me that path. Had I not had that illness, it would have been a lot longer. Maybe I would have got there anyway, but it would have been a lot longer of a journey. Yeah. Isn't it funny that it, it and I, this is just crystallizing for me as you're talking about it and thinking about myself as well. Isn't it funny that it takes an illness to teach us how to live in a healthy way. (laughs) 
listen, the law of polarity, right? Like <laughs> okay. literally the law of polarity. When you're sick, there is health available to you and you're being asked to find your way to that. Yep. Right? Yeah. 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 Oh God. So, so who are you now? Who are you today? I am a woman on a mission is what I am. What's your um, mission? My mission is really, I mean, old chicks, no shit. The mission of old chicks, no shit is to remind women that we are so much more than we give ourselves credit for Then, you know, like I said at the beginning that we are not our faces. We are not our bodies. We are not wrinkles. We are not gray hair. We are powerful women with knowledge and wisdom and experience and so many gifts, so much to offer the world. And the only thing standing between us and our gifts and offerings to the world is our belief in ourselves. And, you know, believing that we are powerful in a society that wants to tell us we're less valuable, less relevant, you know, mm-hmm. is, is an act of rebellion. Yeah. It, it is an act of rebellion. And the more of us that see ourselves as powerful, the more of us that step into our greatness, the more of us that follow our passions and honor who we are, we are paving the way not only for the other women of our generation, but for the generations of women coming behind us. Yes. Right. And mm-hmm. that's the mission to be like, no, this 30 year chapter is not irrelevant. It's not just like this thing where you just fade into the background and wait for the credits to roll. Right. No, no, you are given an opportunity like to, you know, become the highest and best version of yourself so that you can serve humanity. Yeah. Right. Like uh, female orca whales, killer whales are the only other mammals to go through menopause. And when they go through menopause, they then become the leaders of the pods. So they, you know, le- take care of the babies. They lead the pods to food. Right. In Chinese medicine, there's what's called your chi energy, which mm-hmm. during your reproductive years flows downwards through your body towards your reproductive organs. When you reach menopause, it actually reverses and comes up through the body and out through the eyes so that a woman can share her gifts with the world. I did not know that. That's beautiful. Isn't it? I, every time yeah. I say it, I get goosebumps. because yeah. that And that is the truth of this chapter of our lives. Yeah, that's my mission. I that love it. My mission. I love it. And it, it's funny, our missions are so aligned. I'm just at, I'm just at the junction before you pick up the mantle and shepherd people into the, the crone period. Yeah. 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 I hate that term, by the way, crone. To oh, me you do? Like, well, so it's interesting. So if you look at the typical, you know, archetypes of yep. a woman's life, right? There's maiden, yeah. self-explanatory mother, mm-hmm. and then there's crone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, to me, whenever time, time I think of Crone, I think of this like wizened old woman sitting on a mountaintop spouting wisdom before she departs the planet. And I'm like, okay. wait a minute. What about the time between like when my kid leaves home and I become this like wise old woman on the mountaintop? Like, sure. What about that? So I actually have termed those the maven years because the dictionary definition of the word maven is an expert with knowledge and wisdom to share. Oh. And the beautiful part about the maven years is that we are old enough to be able to have the experience, but we're also young enough to be able to see the effects that we have, right? So it's not like we're spouting wisdom and then leaving the planet. It's right. no, we're actually changing the planet during our own lifetime. Like we are impacting things and we get to see the impacts of the things that we are doing. I like that. I like how you've inserted that into the the series there. I guess I have a a different picture of Crone Crone, in my head. For me, it's a much more impish kind of mischievous, you know, older lady. Because, you know, once you become invisible, as women sometimes do in their older years, you can get away with so much if you're mischievous and you're impish yep. and you're, you know, a little, a little calculating. So, yeah. so I, I, I totally see your version of it and why it would not appeal to you. And I think that my version of it is a lot more aligned with your maven description. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. terminology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and the yeah. pictures we create in our heads of the of the language that we exactly, hear. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh god. 
Well, Jen, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been wonderful. You've been exceptionally generous with your story and and I, I love everything you've brought here. For anybody who's listening who is interested in the next phase, tell people where they can find you. Yeah. So first of all, there is the old Chicks No Shit podcast, which will feature Stephanie <laughs> in the <laughs> coming weeks. And that can be found wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And then Old Chicks No Shit is on Instagram and Facebook. There's also a free Facebook group, all of the same name, Old Chicks, K-N-O-W-S-H-I-T. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Jen. I really appreciate you being with me today. Thanks. I loved our conversation. Me too. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, there were a couple of things that Jen said during our conversation that I wanted to tie together because they were really in alignment with what some other folks had said as well. She started out the conversation by saying that when it comes to the midlife crisis, she prefers the term midlife awakening and that we might be able to avoid the crisis part of things if we pay attention to the awakening parts. And that's those little inklings of discontent, of unease, of what I call the ick, the nagging questions that you don't really want to acknowledge because acknowledging them means something's got to change and that's going to mean some hard work. And who the heck has the bandwidth to take on any more hard work? But, you know, like Jen experienced and others who have joined me on the podcast, If you don't pay attention to the whispers, you're going to have to pay attention to the screams. And the screams are far more unpleasant than whatever quote unquote hard work you think it's going to take to listen to those questions that are bubbling up and to start making course corrections to answer them. I think that's one of the interesting things is if you listen when the questions bubble up, when they're just inklings, you might only need to make course corrections on your path to become more in alignment with those questions. But if you keep ignoring them over time, you get so far off course that really it's major changes. And like some of my previous guests, burning down your entire life. Or even like Jen, things completely falling apart. And the concept of awakenings also came up in my conversations with Lisa Petty and Adapia Derrico in episodes 62 and 63. And Jem Fuller in episode 46 talked about his midlife crisis as also as a midlife awakening, but a midlife opportunity. Lisa said that while some people get a huge life transformation they're, and they're just like, whoa, I'm a different person than I was yesterday. Most of us, most of us get them in glimmers, which she described as the sweet little tickles and moments of joy and brief glimpses of perfection um, and tiny bits of love that you feel for no good reason. She said those things can be spiritual awakenings as well. And the way you know it was an awakening is that you become aware of a question, one of those little questions that Jen described as bubbling up for her. And Lisa said that becoming aware of those questions and not ignoring them, like Jen did, is and like I did, (laughs) is how you honor those awakenings. Um, Adapia had three very clear awakenings throughout her 30s. The first was, who am I? The second was, what the hell am I doing? And the third was an awakening physically in her body. And in that episode, I I said that I had envied the clarity of those awakenings. But really, I know that Adapia did a lot of reflection to process them and put them into context with her life in order to make them come or in order to make them sound as clean and clear as she did, because these awakenings very rarely come so perfectly packaged. It's like my 40 drinks project, the original project that kicked off the idea for this podcast. You know, the concept of, you know, how my life was changing at the beginning, I didn't know my life was changing. I thought this was just something ridiculous to do in the middle I had some inklings, I had some ideas, I had some 
huh experiences. And even at the end of the year, I knew that things had changed and things had shifted because there were things in my life that were different. But it wasn't until I got space from the 40 Drinks Project that I got a little time past it that I was able to reflect and really wrap it up in a bow. So that story that I tell now is very different than the story I told 10 or 12 years ago. For Jem, he reframed his midlife crisis as a midlife awakening, and then he used that opportunity to become conscious of the subconscious limiting beliefs that had been holding him back for a lot of his life. He finally realized that part of his operating system had been running on a belief that he was not enough. A lot like Jen today. She talked about it as proving her worthiness. She said that for most of her life, she was trying to prove her enoughness. Oh my goodness. Why is it that so many of us don't think that we're enough? Why do we think we have to be more? Is it societal? Is it cultural? Is it how we're raised? Is it the patriarchy? Is it specifically an American thing? And I'm not being facetious here. If you've got an answer or even an idea of an answer, I truly want to hear from you. I'd like to hear your take on why we spend so much time trying to prove to ourselves and to others that we're enough, that we're worthy of good things and of success and of happiness. And why does it take us so long? Why does it only come to us in midlife? These are among the many questions that I'm grappling with as I talk with my guests here on the podcast. And it's so much fun to be able to look back and do some more of that reflection and tie together some of the threads from some of these 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 previous episodes. I mean, uh, you know, here we are at episode 74. There's there's a bit of uh, of of track behind me that I can look back on and see how conversations compare and contrast and how some of these stories have themes that are consistent. And some people, of course, all are paths and journeys are unique to ourselves and um, but there are consistencies and there are threads that are that are coming through these stories so it, it really kind of excites me to be able to 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 look at some of these stories together and and weave them and see some of the commonalities so I'm very grateful for you listening to the podcast and and sticking with me through this next week you're gonna meet Di Manuel who left the company he co-founded at 38, not sure where he would end up, but concerned about staying and regretting not taking the chance on himself, his family, and his life. I think you're really going to enjoy meeting Di. I'll see you next week. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Fair Marketing Communications.